Morning. Check one, two. There we go. Okay, good deal. Uh, good morning. Good to see y'all. Beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, the psalmist said, I'm glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. So where else would you want to be on a Sunday other than the house of the Lord? And we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, hopefully you got a bulletin on the way in, and there's a little QR code in the bottom. If you'll take your camera app and uh, scan that, you'll be able to go find an area on our website where you can find a digital bulletin, and it'll have all kinds of stuff in it, our prayer list, our order of worship, um, it'll have sermon notes, all kinds of things, but if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll find a digital connection card. You'll just fill that out as much as you want to. You let us know that you were here. And we sure appreciate that. If you're at home, you see the QR code on your screen, and you can do the same as well. But we are glad to have you here today and uh, to be able to come together and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, just a few announcements. Um, we were scheduled this morning to have a spaghetti lunch uh, as a benefit for uh, Megan Kirkendall. Uh, that has been canceled um, I reached out to the family, and they said, thank you, but we're doing great, and wanted to make sure that the community knew how appreciative they were of all the help that the community has been, has showed uh, toward them. But we will, uh, in two weeks from today, have a youth camp fundraiser banquet. It'll be at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall on Saturday the 26th, and the youth will be putting it on, giving you great service and great food, um, and if you'll just... Do them a favor. Um, is the RSVP out there? You can let me know. Okay, if y'all just talk to Brooke, um, let her know that you're planning to come, then they'll get their numbers together. It's also time for Arctic Barnabas blessing boxes to go out, and if you're interested in donating to the to the boxes, uh, the boxes in the foyer, along with a list of needed items, if you'll just get those in there, um, middle of next month, that will ship. I'm um, also, uh, we, we do need, and this is, I'm not trying to jump up and down here, but I've announced this now for three Sundays, and we just need to make sure that these committees understand. Um, we, we need you to, to meet as soon as possible, select a chairman, and begin your work. Um, house and grounds, missions, special events. So if you're a part of that team, um, somebody among you reach out to all the other members of the team and say, hey, when can we get together and get going on our work? Uh, tonight we do have a business meeting at 6.30, the meeting agenda. Um, was posted on the bulletin board in the foyer. I'm not sure if it's there now because um, Larry used it to make copies, so I'm not throwing, trying to throw Larry under the bus. He's just doing what he always does. Um, but the meeting agenda, um, if you have a question about it, um, I, I can show you my agenda. It's sitting on the desk with my packet. But as a church member, it's your right, your, your privilege, your responsibility to participate, so please make every effort to attend. Uh, are there any other announcements that need to be made at this time? All right, I have one final thing. This is from Jane Smith. Church family, thank you so much for your prayers of uh, this last week. God is good all the time. I'm happy and proud to live where the church and community show their loving care for others in so many ways. A special thanks to Linda for the delicious soup and cornbread and to my family who always show their love in so many ways. Again, thank you and God bless Jane Smith. So we are grateful uh, that things weren't, initially it sounded like things were a whole lot worse than they turned out to be, and we are so grateful that uh, that you're with us here today, Jane. Anything else? All right. I'd like to read from, for our call to worship, I'm going to read from uh, Peter's first letter, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse, I'm going to start with verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you 
for our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's stand and sing like people who have received mercy. sit around waiting for us to get our act together but he sent Jesus Christ down and not only did he just save us but he filled us with his glory he made us right if that didn't get you excited I don't, I don't know what to tell you I just, go ahead Denise Yeah. 
we sing this the last time. Wounded and bleeding for sinners unpleading. For us who did not come to him, we were blind and lost and broken, and he came and died on the cross for us. Let's rejoice together. did all the little kids go that used to sit up here with me? I think you guys have grown four or five inches since I left. It is so good to be back here and to see you. This morning, I have a question for you that I bet I've asked you guys dozens of times. Who made you? God made you, right? What else did God make? Everything. God made everything. And you know what? He didn't start with a pile of dirt and a can of air and some water. He made everything out of nothing. And that is so hard for our brains to understand. But that's what he did. And this morning, as I thought about the fact that God made you, and also while I was cleaning out my Bible because I have a tendency to stuff programs and notes and everything, I found something that I read to you guys a while back, and this is um, why it talks about why God made us. Do you know why he created you? To worship him and for his glory. He made us for his glory. And and maybe you don't really understand all that that means, how we glorify him. But one of the ways is that we acknowledge him. We say, God, we know it's you who made us. We know that it's you who created everything that we see. And this is one of my favorite verses. I've read it to you before because I found it in my Bible from one morning when I read it to you. It says, you, God, you are the one who put me together inside my mother's body. And I praise you because of the wonderful way you created me. Just look how my hand works. Do your hand like this. That is amazing. The fact that you can do this with your thumb, that is amazing. The fact that you can see with your eyes, we should glorify God all the time because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It goes on and says, everything you do, God, is marvelous. Of this, I have no doubt. Nothing about me is hidden from you. God sees everything about you. 
I was secretly woven together deep in the earth below, but you, you saw it. Your own eyes saw it as my body was being formed. Even before I was born, you had written in your book everything I would do. Can you imagine that? God knows everything that you've done, and he knows everything that you're going to do because he is so amazing. He knows everything from before time began until the very end of time, forever and ever, eternally. God sees everything. He knows everything. He formed you, and he did it. So that your life and my life would be would bring glory to him. Okay? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just praise you this morning for these beautiful children. And Lord, I just pray that they would um, know who you are, Lord that they would worship you all the days of their lives and that they would glorify you, that their lives would bring glory and honor to your name. And we pray these things in the name of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalms 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself. As a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore.
chose to come down and be our redeemer. That at the cross, we saw the light. So God, we come this morning and we just worship you because you alone are worthy of worship. God, as we sing this last song in adoration to you, my prayer is that you would just overwhelm us with the truth of your gospel. That as Shannon comes to preach, that you would bathe the words he speaks in the blood of the cross. And that Holy Spirit, you would just enlighten our eyes to see the truth. That we would repent of sins. We would turn our hearts to you. And we would humble ourselves before you. And worship you both with what we do and with what we say. God, right now we worship you because you are wonderful. You are a counselor. You are a mighty God. Everlasting King. would please take your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. This morning's text is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. If by chance you did not bring your Bible with you this morning, you'll find a hardback black one in the pew somewhere around you. If you'll take that, turn to the back of the Bible and find page 170. Um, we are currently in a sermon series called My Jesus, I Love Thee, and it is uh, a look at the names of Jesus as they are uh, given to us in the Bible. They tell us certain things about him. We have, I think, I think this is our fourth week, I think, it may be more, but at any rate, um, the, top, the title of this morning's message is My Jesus, I Love Thee founder of our salvation. We find that term founder of our salvation uh, in verse 10. So I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Um, I was reminded this week as I was doing my daily Bible reading and reading through the book of Ezra 
that when Ezra stood to read the law, the people stood. And so that's a, a biblical precedent for us to not necessarily be legalistic about it, but just by our standing to show that God's word is higher than man's word. So this is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. And this is God's word. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again... I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Therefore, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray together. Father, we commit this time to you, and I just pray, Lord, that you um, hold me up as I preach, and I pray that um, the truth would be uh, revealed in your word, not created or implied, but the truth that's here would come out clearly, and that the Holy Spirit would apply it, and we would be faithful to uh, apply in our own way uh, what this means, that Jesus is the founder of our salvation. Lord, help us to cling to that. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there is a central truth that the writer of Hebrews gives to us in verse 10, and that central truth is this. God will bring many sons to glory. Now, we sing a song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And it goes on to talk about what the father was experiencing, how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. And listen, that wounds which mar the chosen one, Christ, would do what? Bring many sons to glory. God will bring many sons to glory. But the question is, how? How will God bring many sons to glory? Well, there's two main points this morning. Um, they'll be on the screen for you if you like to take notes. God will bring many sons to glory, but, but how will he do that? Well, first, he'll do that by making them his sons. You realize that every person is created by God, but born into the family of Satan. Mary Catherine mentioned this morning, we're glad you're home, by the way, you and Eddie both. Thank you for your service to the Lord in Kenya. And we look forward to hearing what the Lord has to share with us through you. Um, but she mentioned this morning Psalm 139, verse 13. And God created us. That's the truth that the Bible declares unequivocally. David says, For you formed my inward parts, you being the Lord. You, Lord, knitted me together in my mother's womb. And that's true. God creates all people. There's nothing that God does not create physically, that God does not create. We are all his created people. But in John chapter 8, verse 
44, Jesus makes this statement to the Jews. They were declaring themselves to be sons of Abraham, which they were according to the lineage, the descendants of the Old Testament. That statement's absolutely true. But Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, why did he say that? Because they had to believe in him as Messiah in order to be made a son of God. This is why there's a problem. See, the sons of Satan are in slavery to death because of sin. Listen again to verse 14. Since therefore the, ch- the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, everyone who has ever lived on this earth apart from Christ was born into sin. And as they were born, they were born short of the glory of God. Listen, this is expounded upon in Romans 5.12. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin in Adam is what he's saying. He goes on in Romans 5, 18 and 19 and says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, and that's Adam's trespass, so one act of righteousness, that's Christ's act of righteousness, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's, the the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous. So the Bible tells us that we are born into sin and under control of Satan because he has the the keys of death. He has the power of death. Look at at Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Satan is the one who, under God's sovereignty, has the power of death. Therefore, The sons of Adam belong to him. They belong to Satan. They're enslaved to him. And here's the thing. Just like the Israelites in Egypt, they could not rescue themselves. The sons of Adam cannot rescue themselves. That is why if God's going to bring many sons to glory, first he has to make them his sons. So what does he do? He sends the son on a redemptive rescue mission. That's what he does. He sends the son on a redemptive rescue mission. Look at verse 13, the end of it. It says, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. In other words, for Christ ever left heaven. God said, I have a people for you. Go and get them. So the father sends the son on a redemptive rescue mission so that he might help these sons. You notice it says in uh, verse 16, Surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And in verse 18, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The father sent the son on a rescue mission, a redemptive one, to help these sons. And by help, the the Greek word here means to take someone by the hand or to assist them by leading. He was going to help these sons by destroying the power of Satan and death. John says, 1 John 3, verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So the Father sends the Son to help these sons he's going to redeem by destroying 
the power of Satan and death, but not only that, delivering them from his bondage. Colossians 1, verse 13, Paul writes, He, talking about Christ, has delivered us, talking about the church, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So the Father sends the Son on a redemptive rescue mission to help those sons by destroying the power of death and delivering them from bondage. How would he do that? He would have to take on human flesh. Notice in verse 11, if Jesus is going to help, it says, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. In other words, Jesus, the one who sanctifies, and the ones who are being sanctified, his people, they share the same flesh. Notice in verse 14 it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, talking about our humanity, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In verse 17 it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He took on our humanity. He partook of the same things that we do. He had to be made like us in every respect. He took on our humanity. He took on our natural infirmities, not the ones that are due us because of sin, but our natural infirmities. Jesus was heartbroken when his friend Lazarus died. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He was betrayed, he was disappointed, and we all, at one point or time, have experienced that. Yet, Jesus was not born with our sinful nature. He was not a son of Adam. He was not a son of Satan. Hebrews 4.15 says, talking about Christ... He is, in every respect, has, in every respect, been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He took the suffering that was due to the sons of Adam for their sin. Now, here's a key thing here. And this is how this is going to start to intersect us, because I don't think I'm telling you anything new here. But the success of the mission, the redemptive mission, Rescue mission, the Father sent the Son on. The success of that mission hinges on the suffering of Christ. Look at verse 10. Excuse me. The writer says, For it was fitting, it means necessary, proper, the only possible way things could work for the desired outcome. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, that he there is talking about God, the Father, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word founder, if you have a different translation, it may be different uh, maybe a word other than founder. It may be captain. If you have the King James, it may be captain. Other ways you can think of it is uh, trailblazer or pioneer. It's someone who has made a breakthrough in a particular area. And when it says that God uh, was going should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, he's not in any way indicating any imperfection in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is that he is qualifying Christ for the job that he has been sent to do. And the way that Christ would be qualified for the job that he was sent to do was through suffering. Hebrews 5.8 says, although he, this is Christ again, was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So the perfection of the founder of, 
of our salvation could not happen apart from suffering. It was fitting. Verse 17 again says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. A high priest is someone, we know this from the Old Testament, someone who was human. But there's a high priest, we know, before he was... Before he did his job on behalf of the people, he had to confess his own sins. Well, Christ had none to confess. He had none to make any sort of restitution or repayment for. So he suffered. He didn't suffer for himself. He suffered for us. And the success of the mission, particularly in the area of redemption, it hinges upon the suffering of Christ. Again, verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you hear in that? Maybe something's going off in your mind, and you're thinking, that sure sounds a lot like, the Exodus. It's because I think it does. You remember in the Old Testament, people were trapped in slavery. But they were, they were the people that God had promised His people. He was in covenant with them. And he was going to bring them out. He had foretold this. You'll be there and then I will bring you out. And you realize there would be no redemption and no Exodus apart from a lamb suffering. A lamb was slain and the blood applied to the door so that when the death angel came over, those people might not have their firstborn taken from them. Well, God gave his firstborn so the death angel might pass over us so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who before they were delivered, before the... The, the, the power of, the, of death was destroyed, who were under a fear of death and subject to lifelong slavery. But Christ's suffering removed that. He redeemed that. He was the perfect high priest because of his obedience, and he was a, his obedient death was his ultimate act as high priest. The success of the mission hinges on his suffering for propitiation. Verse 17, it says, Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Verse 11. I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. When it says that Jesus would make propitiation as as the high priest... What it's talking about there is that Jesus, as the high priest, would offer himself as the sacrifice. And in doing so, he would remove the wrath that is due to God for us. He and his sacrifice swallowed up all of the cup of wrath that God poured out. There's not another drop. There's not going to ever be a day when you see Christ face to face, if you're a Christian, And he says, here's a little more of wrath to drink for you. It's totally removed. The success of the mission hinges on the suffering of Christ and sanctification. In verse 11, it says, For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified all have one source. Now you realize, sanctification means that you're set apart as holy or you're made holy. And so if God's going to bring many sons to glory, there's got to be something done, not only about the guilt of their sin, but the stain of their sin. So when the blood is applied to the sinner, then the righteousness of Christ is applied as well. To where God no longer sees our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so then, as verse 12 says, we can actually be in the midst of the congregation, the people of God. And we can actually be the children God gave the Son to go get. 
And the success of the mission hinges on the suffering of Christ in terms of adoption. Adoption's not mentioned in here. But if he's going to make us sons and we don't, we aren't natural born sons, there's going to have to be an adoption take place. See, adoption just simply means that, a, that someone who is not naturally born, a son, is legally and formally brought into the family as a son with all the rights and privileges of a natural born son. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And we really are sons. Christ really did pay it all. We don't have to shirk around in the corners of the room in the presence of the Father of the Son. Paul says in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So how does God bring many sons to glory? First, by making them his sons through the suffering of Christ. And Christ was willing to suffer. He didn't have to have his arm twisted. He wanted to come for you. He was willing to suffer so that he could finally, so he could have the children of God, the the children God gave him. Finally, God brings many sons for glory, to glory, by fitting them for his glory. How does he do that? He does that through redemptive, sanctifying suffering. Redemptive sanctifying suffering. Now I would imagine that Eddie and Mary Catherine could tell you about how that is probably not going to be preached in a lot of churches in Africa. What you're you're going to be told in a lot of churches in Africa is that you just don't have enough faith if you still have malaria. You haven't given enough money to the church. That's why you're suffering the way that you do. But God brings suffering into our lives so that we might learn through it. Now, I brought up suffering um, just sort of as a natural infirmity. And we all have that happen. But I want you to know that what the writer of Hebrews is particularly talking about is redemptive, sanctifying suffering for Christ. See, I believe in, in... I believe this is true, otherwise I wouldn't preach it. That the people to whom the writer of Hebrews has addressed this letter are undergoing severe persecution for Christ. And they're being tempted that maybe they should go back to Judaism because it's safe. Rome thinks it's okay for you to be a Jew, but... Because they're, they're okay. They'll, they'll say, and I read this this morning again, um, where when Christ was, was about to be crucified, <clears throat> Pilate asked, would you have me crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. So there was this kind of political expediency going on there. And so they weren't persecuted. But Christians, they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. They said Jesus is Lord. And I want you to know this because it's true. There is no glory apart from suffering for the Christian. There is no glory apart from suffering for the Christian. You see, this is the pattern established by Christ. This is part of the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making here. Christ suffered. And he suffered for you. And he's a merciful high priest. And he'll be able to help you when you are tempted. But there's no glory apart from suffering because this is the pattern established by Christ. We have to understand his suffering and our suffering aren't the same. You see, he suffered for sins, our sins, instead of us. But I do want to say, yet his suffering and our suffering are the same. 
See, Christ had to obey when the cost was high. Even one of his own apostles said, Jesus, death, this, this is not the way to go. And, and Christ said, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus knew that suffering preceded glory. So Jesus showed us that obedience, even when the cost is high, is the example that he has set. And so when you consider the background of the people to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing, this is important for them to see, that they have a Savior that can sympathize with them in their weakness and in their suffering. I'm going to read some verses from 1 Peter. This is chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 3.14 But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 1 Peter 3.17 For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous For the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Then Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He continues, chapter 4, verse 13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. First Peter 4, 15 and 16, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. First Peter four nineteen. Therefore that let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's suffering we're all going to deal with, but then there's also suffering where you say, I, I, can't, I can't do anything other than display my obedience to Christ. We don't just suffer for Christ, though, and this is the truth I want you to see. We don't just suffer for Christ. We suffer with Christ. Look again at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. When it says that he suffered, it means that he suffered and experienced emotional harm or harm or emotional pain. That word for there, there for tempted is the same word that is often translated tested. So in other words, suffering is a testing for us. Read the first chapter of James, first 18 verses. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when You are overtaken by trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We're tempted through suffering. But we, because Christ has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help us when we are tempted. When we're tempted, don't, don't, don't. When the struggles are real, don't think that in the midst of all that, Christ is ashamed of you. Because it says in verse 11, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Brothers. We have a high priest, a founder of the faith, who trailblazed a path for us. He can show us the way to go. I want you to look at this quote. I don't know who this lady is, but this quote came across my social media and I thought, this is perfect. 
It says Jesus was given over to danger and his enemies at the cross. And yet his resurrection revealed that he was not ultimately overtaken by them. Our experience mimics his as we share in his suffering and glory. Here's what I take from that. Because Jesus was not overcome, we will not be overcome. When we stand for Christ, when we suffer for Christ, we will not be overcome because we have a trailblazer who has already been down this trail. He'll be, he's already there at the right hand of God, but he'll be able to come back to us, take us by the hand, and say, to, like it says in verse 13, Say to us, there was a time when I had to say, I will put my trust in him. That Christ trusted the Father to know that apart from suffering, there would not be glory. So we have a Savior who understands that. And when it's hard, he's not ashamed of us. He's going to come alongside us. He's going to tell us, this is the way. Walk in it. I had to trust the Father too. You you trust. Because I know that one day I'm going to tell your name. I'm sorry. I need to not say that because I'm going to cause confusion here. One day you will be in the congregation and we'll all sing the praise of the Father who led us to glory through suffering. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there are folks who suffer, who suffer just the normal struggles of this world. There's a different kind of suffering. We know that you can use all things for our good and use all kinds of suffering. But Lord, for for any in here who are making a stand, who... uh, are wondering, does the Savior understand? We're thankful to know that the founder of our salvation is able to help us when we're tempted because he suffered. Lord, any that are suffering here today, may they come to you and find, may they come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, Worthy, He is Worthy. terms of prayer requests and we'll have a time of prayer say the great commission will be done um, talked to Ben yesterday and he said that he had had a slight stroke um, sounded good um, but he has got some um, blockage in both carotid arteries and he's hoping that Austin Hart will be able uh, to give him a way forward um, because currently the prognosis is, is not bright um, We need to be in prayer for the Knapp family. Um, not sure that you're aware of every prayer request on this list. That's why sometimes I like to take the time and do that. Um, the Knapp family, um, they're connected to uh, Steve and Kathy Widener. And um, a young lady attempted to commit suicide. 
and they found her, and she had hung herself. Uh, they were able to get her to the hospital, and um, she was on life support for a while, and they took her off the life support, and she finally passed away yesterday. So the Knapp family is in a great deal of pain, so please pray for them. Um, I want to bring up one, and, and if you're listening at home, you can see that on your screen there's a QR code that you can scan if you'd like to share prayer requests with us. And there's a prayer request shared with us. I don't know who it was from, but uh, it's a prayer request for Joshua Dale Watson. Um, he has uh, cancer, and his mother has cancer, and, and, uh, so, and Joshua has young children. And so uh, they're just in need of prayer for that. Um, are there any other prayer requests that you can think of, updates, anything? All right, well, let's stand. I'll say a word of prayer, and we'll say the Great Commission and be dismissed. Don't forget, uh, business meeting tonight at 6.30, so let's pray. Father, we do pray for Ben, and we're thankful, Lord, for um, just each day, each new day that you give to him, and I pray that each new day would be a day of service to you and joy in you, and I pray going forward um, that he would be able to find the help that he needs in order to um, have his health be the best it can be. We also pray for Joshua Dale Watson, his mother, and all of this situation. Pray, God, that you would comfort everyone involved in that situation, give them peace and comfort in knowing that you are God and you are more than able to heal. We pray for the Knapp family, Lord, and we're just so saddened that any time a young person takes this, any time anyone takes this awful step, um, help them to uh, be able to heal, uh, give them comfort and hope in Christ, and peace, and uh, Lord, we lift them up to you. Uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them,